Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, July 30th, 2015. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book and we will begin reading the second paragraph of page 151, beginning with the less people tolerated us. Today's readers are for the 12 Steps, Amy W., 12 Traditions, Nancy S., and our readers of the text will be Anita J., Santa H., and Kathy K. The reference number for Wednesday, July 29th, 2015, is 7878. Out the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is, that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Amy W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. Amy W., compulsive overeater from California. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable, to came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make, am- and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the opportunity of service, and I pass. Thank you, Amy W. And I will now ask Nancy S. to read the 12 traditions. Nancy S.? 
Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. This is Nancy S. from Wisconsin, a recovering compulsive overeater. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. Go ahead. Thank you. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should for, should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do this service in my past. Thank you, Nancy S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. But we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 151, the second paragraph, beginning with, The Less People Tolerated Us. I will now ask Anita J. to begin reading. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for your service, and thank you for listening on the line. This is Anita Jay, very pleased to say that it was one year ago, this month, this, oh, this, this very month, that I became recovered, which I never knew could happen, and it was by reading this book, by studying it, not just reading it. 
the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. It sickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily, we did. Then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. There's so much here. I'm not going to be the person who's going to talk about all of it. But I want to say that the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. Um, You know who tolerated me the the least was myself. And I know that I projected, I projected the four horsemen. I I just projected that loneliness, this this false happiness. It's all I knew, and um, I don't know what else I could do because every time I went to bed at night, it was a failure. It doesn't matter what I did at work or what I did in school. None of that mattered. To myself, I was a failure, and I wasn't fun to be around. I was a very funny person, friendly outside and all, but when... You know, people are sitting around casually eating. I know that I was holier than thou, whether at home I was binging my brains out or if I was doing trying to stay abstinent. I made everybody uncomfortable. And I've been around people. You know, I can't stand people who rain on other people's parades. Well, guess who was the biggest downpour? Me. It's just such a different world when you begin to be able to talk about this stuff in the past tense. In the past tense. I am not living this today, but I don't ever want to forget it. Because um, despair, bewilderment, and frustration, terror, I don't know. I'm I'm a person who was always in denial. So maybe there were the terrors too the terrors of another day of trying to make it on my own. There was a secret ingredient who was standing there with me, but I never asked for help. And this um, this last year and a half has kindly pointed me in the right direction, and it can point anybody. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Anita J. Who else would like to share on this power question? It's Alex Charles H. Um, this is Bella. Can I share? Carol G. Amy G. Renata. Reva P. Reva P. Mary P. Renata. Okay, I heard a lot of people here. <laughs> Here's what I got, and I'll, I'll take another sweep. But Charles, I heard you. I heard Carol G. in uh, England. I heard Amy G. I heard Mary B. I heard Renata. 
Can we go with We'll take another pass at it. Charles. Good morning, Sally. It's Charles H. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everybody, visionaries. Everybody, it's Charles H. Recovered visionary just for today. I mean, this thing is packed. It's packed more than my, my, my plate used to be before program. So I'm not even going to try to even, you know, um, I, I want to go to, I want to go right directly to sorted places. You know, and I had to get a big book dictionary. To, I, I didn't know what that word means. But now today, just for today, I know it means dirty. So, you know, my my mind was sorted places. A, a, a beautiful AA saying is, um, don't go in your mind without adult, <laughs> don't go up there without adult supervision. And, you know, I, you know, I needed it. I needed it all the time. And, um, you know, I, I just, I just thank God, right? Because, you know, I want to say rest in peace to my brother that had 25 years and picked up and passed. So, you know, I want, I want to say that, you know, you know, I took two people through the doctor's opinion yesterday and I don't mind taking a million more because, you know, when we read that little paragraph that says, you know, some people rather make that supreme sacrifice than continue to fight. Thank you, God, right? Thank you, God, for the willingness. Because, you know, as a recovered person, there's still battles that I have to battle every single day. And, you know, one day I could be, go, one day my, my mind goes to sordid places today. I ain't scared to tell you that. I ain't scared to tell you that. My mind goes to sordid places. However, I got to pro, you know, can I say this? Um, resolutions, right, and, and, and it's so clear in that doc's opinion to me, and it identifies with this paragraph. Resolutions are backed by empty promises, but a decision is backed by the program of action. And that's what I got. That's what I'm armed with. And that's what keeps me safe and protected. And I just want to say, Father God, protect everybody on this line. Protect their mind, body, spirit, and soul. Uh, protect them. Put a hedge around them like the mountains around Jerusalem. And I'll pass. Thank you, Sally. Thank you, Charles. Carol G. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Sally. Thank you, Vision, for you. It's Carol G. England. <laughs> just feeling a momentary wave of... This is an amazing paragraph. I don't know what I'm going to say now. Um, I'm recovered by the grace of God from this mental obsession. Um, what I'm going to turn to, I think, in this part is seeking out companionship and approval from my sponsor. Um, and what happened to me was I was very unhappy in OA in the end before um, I actually came in and walked these pages with a recovered sponsor because I was just clinging to my abstinence with my my fingernails. Um, I'd made it once again to step nine, but I was lying by omission to my sponsor because I was seeking her companionship and approval more than the recovery from the obsession of the food. I got the two things mixed together. And why was I doing that? Well, I was terrified that she would drop me and where would I go then? Um, and I was so terrified of losing her um, about my food plan that I just began to lie, consciously lie and not tell her the things that were happening to me. Um, and I was feeling terror and bewilderment and despair. Oh, it was terrible. And I'm actually feeling it now as I'm speaking. And then one day I just woke up to this and I told her that I was slipping. And as she promised, she said, I can't work with you anymore. And I said, that's fine. She was three years um, in the program and doing very well. And I was 13. And she said, I'm sorry, but I don't know how to help someone who knows the big book more than I do. It's not in my experience. 
and it was the best risk I could have ever taken. I was teaching myself to lie in program, and by speaking my truth and saying to her, I'm struggling, she let me go, and I walked three weeks later into the arms of a recovered sponsor. I mean, who knew that was going to happen? So I took that risk, and the terror and the despair and the bewilderment began to lift. And I, I, I heard somebody the other day sharing, and I heard them say the words that I used to say, which was, oh, I've got to go back now to step one. And I could hear the pain in her voice, and I remembered it, that horrifying feeling of having to go back to step one. And I thought, hang on a minute. Vision for you, this, this chapter is all about the language of love. It's all about the language of the heart, not the language of the ego. And now today for me, going back to step one it is a gift to me. For me, from my point of view, it's a cyclic program. The leaves grow, then they fall. And I was approached by somebody else. I found some recovery. I walked through these pages. I followed the instructions. And by giving myself that gift, I was released of the bewilderment and despair. And I can't tell you what a wonderful gift it is. This, this program is so wonderful. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Carol G. Amy G. Good morning, Sally. My name. Are you? Can you hear me, Sally? I can. Take it oh, away. Okay. Good morning, Sally. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you, everyone on the line. You know, I used to read that sentence. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding and companionship and approval. And I used to think in my eating when I was reading this, trying to figure it out in early first five years of struggling in and out of OA and uh, trying to treat the program buffet sale, I would think, oh, sorted. I never went anywhere sorted. And then finally when I surrendered to this program, the disease had me beaten and pummeled, and I finally started working the steps and started to have the spiritual experience. I realized sorted places, oh, my gosh, what did I do? My sorted places was sitting in the parking lot and in the dark, alone, in a car, binging and, 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 and going other places where I would have to go to go puke, you know, si- sitting on the side of the road with a napkin, puking out the door, the side of the door, you know, uh, assorted places, getting those, you know, passing out to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't even think, I couldn't, eat, you know, I, and then waking up in the morning to this four terrible horsemen, looking at the mirror and punching the mirror, cracking all the knuckles in my hands with frustration, disgust, and despair because I couldn't understand why I kept putting the food in my mouth. I went to a lot of sorted places thanks to King Compulsive Overeating. This disease took me down. And what's happening in this chapter is we're taking a quick review of what it was like because we're going to cast, they're going to cast the vision as to what, you know, the beginning of AA was like and starting this program out. And what we do is we get out there and we cast the vision and carry the message to other compulsive overeaters. And we go from this dark place, I mean, with deadly seriousness about what this disease can do to us and what I understand it did to me, to another paragraph on page 153. It says, it may seem incredible these men have become happy, respected, and useful once more. How can they rise out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? The practical answer, practical meaning something we have to work at, is that since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you. Should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, we are sure that they will come. The age of miracles is still with us. Our recovery proves that. There are many on the line who are recovered and has proven the fact that we have gone from the powerlessness and the hopelessness 
and the sordid places of compulsive overeating, and I'm a, one of those miracles to a new miracle of a new life that has been transformed. This program has the power to transform lives. That's the vision, and carry the message to others. And I'm running out of time. Thanks. I'll pass with that. Thanks, Amy G. And Mary B. Mary B. Can you hear me? This is Mary B. I can. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. Um, And thank you, everyone who has shared. And um, I am Mary B. I am gratefully recovered today in Central California. This is a great paragraph. The less people tolerated us, I was a pretty nice person. I I had to be. I always had to be from the time I was a little girl in school. Uh, I was so hungry for love and approval. As a fat kid, I had to do whatever dance I had to do to, to try to fit in. There was no one who was as intolerant of me as I was. I couldn't stand myself. I would take off my clothes to take a shower. I had this huge mirror in my bathroom, and I would look in that mirror and call myself an elephant. You elephant. My sordid place, my most sordid place was the couch in my house where I laid with my hair in curlers, a muumuu, watching daytime serials, crying, living my life through Nurse Jessie on General Hospital, who cried at every uh, every time I, she came on, she was in tears, and I was in tears crying for her. It was a horrible, sordid way to live. And I hid from the world. I mean, people didn't um, reject me or didn't not tolerate me because I was fat. In fact, I think a lot of them kind of appreciated that I was no competition. And I lived in that terror and bewilderment and frustration because I, I knew there was something wrong with me. You know, I hear so many people say they didn't know what, that there was anything wrong. I knew, I knew there was something wrong. I just didn't know what it was. And I used to stamp my feet and say after, uh, or in the middle of a binge and say, it's only food. It's food. It can't possibly have that much power over me. But it did. And today, oh my God, my life is so different. I... Look in the mirror today, and if you guys will excuse me, I just celebrated my 78th birthday. And when I take my clothes off to take a shower, and I I don't have that huge mirror anymore, but I have mirrors. And I say, hey, not bad for an old broad. And I can enjoy my life and the people in it. And I, thanks to this program, and thank you. Thanks for letting me share. I'm going over my time. Thank you, Mary B. And Renata, it's your turn. Hello, this is Raquel hey. calling from Israel. Somewhere, will you be able to get me in? I'll be grateful. Okay, Raquel, I got you. Renata, it's your Israel. turn. 
Thank you, Sally. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader. I absolutely love this page, 151. Every time I read it, I get overwhelmed because it really describes me to a T, you know, and the progression of my disease. And, uh, you know, when, you know, before going through the steps, right, um, when living in, in disease, you know, these are all the things that were my reality, you know, withdrawing from society, from life, you know, king food was everything for me. It dictated my life from, you know, how I felt to what I wore to the jobs I had to, you know, how I let people treat me, my relationships, it dictated everything because I felt so horrible and shitty and miserable all the time that it reflected in everything, every single aspect of my life. You know, I was a real prisoner of this disease. And, uh, you know, I had a, a life just because I was, alive, but I hated every single minute of it, and every morning when I woke up, I wish I would, I didn't, you know, that was a terrible, terrible way to live, and, uh, you know, it talks about the four horsemen, and they, they were a constant to me, you know, and I had to get to the point where my disease progressed so much that it wasn't just about the weight, you know, I was miserable inside and out in my mind, in my body, emotionally, spiritually, I had nowhere else to go. Until, you know, I've experienced, until this, like, four horsemen were a constant in my life, I, I had no motivation to go through the steps, you know, but I had to get to the point that the misery was so much that I, I, I just decided I had nothing to lose. You know, nothing could be worse than living the way I was living. You know, the fear of picking up that first bite, that having the consequences of it, had to become greater than the fear of, you know, experiencing something new, of going on the spiritual path that I didn't know. And so, you know, today the reason I continue to work on my steps on a daily basis is because I don't want to go back into that prison with those four horsemen. I, you know, those steps gave me freedom, which I've never had in my life before. And I don't want to lose it. And just to wrap up, like one time I heard it said that, you know, God saved my life and the steps showed me how to live it. And that's my reality today that I passed. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. Raquel, you're up, and I'm going to take a turn right after you. Go ahead. Raquel? Hello. This is Raquel. You know, my dear friends there, I love you so much, all of you. It's like I have, I'm petrified of taking this trip to come to the convention, but I would not miss being there if you have to carry me from here on a stretcher. I feel so close to everybody who is sharing in these last two paragraphs, and I have to go back a little to, to where it says that we are a, a group of people all sections of this country or of the world by now, by us holding hands around the globe. And many of us, uh, of occupations are so represented, different political views, economics, and so on. We are people who normally would not mix. So into these two paragraphs, 
I would like to pour my being so much part of you and so much my past and my experience being as a Holocaust survivor, my relationship with food so different, and yet I came to the same place that all of you did. For us, food was survival. It meant that if you have another piece of bread, you're going to live another day. So um, when we came to Israel as children in children's villages and so on, uh, kids would not go to sleep without a piece of bread under their pillow. And yet the relationship was sealed uh, to the food in such a, such a way that I don't need a lot in order for it to go a long way into dragging me to the four horsemen. My, my physical allergy to bread, for instance, is so incredible that I had to cut it out, that even for a blessing I cannot use bread. I have a rabbinical permission to not even make the blessing over challah on, on Friday, on Sabbath. But the, the sordid places that I still got to and the feeling of being different, this disease is an, uh, an opportunity employer, you know. So I am in it with you guys. The sordid place that I remember is doing a zillion jobs in order to support my kids, especially after I got divorced. I was always much, I'm a teacher, I'm a Bible teacher for God's sakes. I have to come to, to really believe through you guys the way now, you know, is a different, whole different way of believing. But the sordid place was when the last of my kids was, was leaving me and I was teaching and, and, and not in a place that I didn't like. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I would get up and eat bread and drink, I don't know how many cups of coffee with sweetness that were just an abstinent as though being abstinent. And my son would wake up in the morning and just grab me by my shoulders and shake me and say, Mom, I don't need that bagel that you just finished. I wanted it for my lunch. I'll buy something. Now, why are you doing this to yourself? Because the sordid place was, I, I will stop, I mean, I'll just wrap up. It, like a, a drunk would have the, his glass and the bottle, you know, on the table after a night like that. For me, it was the crumbs of bread and the cup of coffee with the sweetness bread uh, that all all thrown around. But Hi. I came to the same place as you, and I see that I have to wrap up and... I'm looking forward to meeting all of you. Um, yeah, thank you so, so much for being there, all my good friends. Thank, thank you, Sally. You. Thank you so much, Raquel. Thank you for coming and sharing your strength and hope with us. And I, I am taking the time, so I, whoever is also saying time, I would appreciate it if you would um, please not, not um, say that, not make an additional timer happening here. Okay, thank you. Um, it's Sally A, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in South Jersey, and I'm just going to set my own timer. And I'd like to share on this paragraph. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society. This paragraph to me is a picture of a day in my life when I was in the food. And it begins with me, with me having a problem with my relationships with people. The less people tolerated me, 
the more I withdrew from society. It was me isolating and pulling away from uh, pulling away from people and then ultimately from life itself. It goes on to say, as we became subjects of king food, I was living in the prison of my mind, and I was living in a relationship with an abusive lover, food. Shivering denizens, the word denizens means occupants of a kingdom. I truly lived in the land of king food, and I was truly a prisoner, a prisoner in my mind, a prisoner to my tongue, a prisoner to the allergy of my body. And it was madness, sheer, a mad realm. The chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down speaks to the isolation, speaks to the terror that went on in my mind. What's the way out? Ever trying to find my way out of this box, this dark maze. And, and honestly, it draws a picture of me in a basement, in a dark, dank, chilly, vaporous basement and the basement was in my mind it thickened ever becoming blacker and that's what it was life I was getting more and more drunk I was more and more in the food I was more and more lost to this disease more and more could not get out of it could not find an escape hatch some of us thought our sordid places wherever it was that we snuck and we and we were whether I was eating under a bed whether I was eating in a closet whether I was eating in the backyard whether I was running with the food and hiding someplace else sordid places back of of parking lots uh there's always such a number of places hoping to find understanding companionship and approval not from you not from people hoping to find it in this relationship with food, this food that somehow gave me a sense of compassion as it slid down my throat. Momentarily we did, ah, the ease and the comfort of those bites. Then would come oblivion until I was drunk and sleeping, truly sleeping with plates, forks, um, dirty plates, dirty spoons in my own bed. And the awful awakening, yes, the life in the day of Sally A., in the food, the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. I used to call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. When I would wake up and I would say, what did I do last night? The terror, the bewilderment, the frustration, the despair. Where is this heading? Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. And with that, I'm going to pass. Who else would like to share? Tell this? Larry. That M. Melissa C. That Okay, let's back it up a little bit. I heard one person before Larry. Who's that? Chelsea. Chelsea A. Chelsea. Chelsea. Not M. Kathy K. Chelsea. Then I heard Larry. Matt. Then I heard Matt M. Gotcha, Matt. Then I heard Kathy. Did I hear Leah? Yes. Good. And then Bella. Let's go with that order. Chelsea, then Larry, then Matt, then Leah, then Kathy Kay, then Bella. Thank you, Sally, and thanks for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. And I just want to hone in on that awful awakening to face those hideous four horsemen, that awful awakening, the opposite of the spiritual awakening that I need to dethrone this king food, as Sally so aptly put it. Um, for me, this uh, whole paragraph, this whole page, like it said, uh, unhappy drinkers who read the whole page will understand. 
what it was like, what it was like. This is recapitulating for me what I went through day, day after day and all the sweet promises that I made myself that I wasn't going to do this anymore and the isolation, that whole isolating, hunkering down with all kinds of food and, in my case, liquor, too, and just going into oblivion, blackouts. I used to drink until I blacked out. I used to eat until I blacked out. And it was an awful awakening. And being under the realm of a slave to food and purging and laxatives and all the other things seemed like my normal life. It just seemed like it. And then there were moments, there were moments when I could get that click and then I would feel nothing. I would be totally numbed. And being numb used to be the state of being that I thought was best for me so I didn't have to face life. And then all the different things that come under the heading of an awful awakening, the exact opposite of what I need to live happy, joyous, and free. And thank goodness that that's not my experience today. And because of going through the whole process and understanding what I'm up against, I was able to experience the opposite of an awful awakening, which is a spiritual awakening sufficient enough to keep me from digging in boxes and bags and pulling in drive throughs and crying about it and just doing the same behavior again, experiencing terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. Today, one day at a time, I'm happy, joyous, and free. I've had the opposite awakening. Thanks so much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Chill. And Larry, it's your turn. Thanks, Sally. Uh, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, there's there's lots of ways to withdraw from society. In my case, um, you know, I became progressively imprisoned by the food. And it, it wasn't so much that I withdrew from society by becoming like a, a recluse or, or, or hiding in a cave somewhere. No, I, I still worked and I, I showed up for social occasions and, and family obligations. But for me, what this disease did is it made me more and more emotionally and spiritually unavailable. It bankrupted my soul to such an extent that, you know, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, that became the norm. I was devoid and blocked off from all feeling. And the interesting thing for me is that, that, you know, many of us can put on quite an act in the midst of this despair. And, and that was indeed the case for me. And, you know, for example, day after day, I, I would show up for class. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, and um, and I was drunk from my morning binge. And, you know, the large lecture hall, that was actually uh, preferable to me because there was a greater emotional and physical separation between me and the students. You know, a small class is, is more intimate. And I learned how to give off an air of being unapproachable and emotionally distant aloof, you know, and you see, there's many ways that we can keep people away. And, you know, in my case, disinterest, uh, disgust, you know, high on food, numbed out to normal feelings that we're capable of having, we can give off a vibe of apathy and distrust rather than empathy and emotional honesty. And here's, you know, the, the, the fundamental uh, difference for me today, the same tongue that I once used to, to tear you down when I was ruled by self, today I used to build you up and offer hope. And God made that possible by restoring me to sanity. And through these steps, what God did is he slowly dissolved the masks I was wearing to reveal my true self. And today I make the decision by asking myself, 
Am I doing this from a place of fear or a place of love? And when we're in fear, there's no room for love. And when we're in love, conversely, there's no room for fear. And, you know, even Ralph Waldo Emerson, I'm reminded, he said that he has not learned the lesson of life who does not every day surmount the fear. That's what I'm capable of today is to surmount the fear by the grace of God. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Oh, I'm sorry, Larry. Thank you so much. And Matt, it's your turn. Thank you. Good morning, my fellow visionaries. Can you hear me? Sure can. Thank you. This is Matt M. Recover Compulsive Overeater and Available Sponsor. Yeah, this paragraph has a lot in it, as someone said in the beginning of the first share. Like, this is a paragraph that's very ominous because it talks to the part of us when we're in the middle of the disease, when the food is all we have left, and even that is starting to turn its back on us and bite us like a snake in the pit. Um, for me, food was everything. It was my lover, my friend, my mother, my father. Nothing else mattered but that food, and I was a slave to it. It was just as bad as any alcoholic or any other addict in the world. I was one of the people who were bottom of the barrel, just like a lot of us are, and I had nothing else to turn to. And, you know, at the time, that, I needed the food at the time because it's, it was what kept me alive. But now I know better. The food was just a symptom. My life was unmanageable to the extreme, and I realized that I was going down the, the, the drain fast, circling the drain. Um, those four hideous horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, also apathy. I didn't care about anybody else. I didn't care about anybody else, including myself. So how can I um, have any compassion for anybody else at the time when I was just trying to get my fix? Um, I was very grateful that today I was um, taken off the scrap heap, as it says in the big book, and I commenced to start this new way of living. And just for today, I'm recovered. I only have one day in front of me, 24 hours. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. So I'd rather go through the day helping others and doing this extra thing for myself so I can stay in a state of grace and a state of reasonableness and a state of being teachable because I do not know it all. And um, I'm grateful I can realize that to keep the humility that my, my God gave me, higher power has given me because that can go. The second I start thinking that I have this down, that I got it, that I'm someone, I'm the, that I'm the best sponsor that somebody needs or that they, that they need me, like, you know, that I have a problem, I have a huge ego that needs to be smashed as, as I've heard Larry say before, it does have to be smashed because if not, then I'm just going to commence to go back into the food. And, I read, and to do that is to die. And I'm very grateful this program has given me my life back, and I'm willing to give my life to this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Matt. Leah. Thanks so much, Sally. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from, society, from life itself. You know... <laughs> A very painful paragraph, uh, certainly something I can relate to. Um, you know, before entering the recovery process, you know, I had lost, you know, friendships. Uh, my my husband and, and his family were, uh, you know, discussing divorce. We were newly married. Um, you know, life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. There was not one area of my life that wasn't touched by this disease, you know, emotionally, socially, uh, physically, certainly spiritually. I mean, every area of my life uh, was going bankrupt. And, you know, 
This is the life of addiction, you know, straight up. For me, it was a turning inward and away from the normal means of sustaining myself emotionally and spiritually. I mean, I was definitely emotionally stunted, and I had no tools for living. I was unable to live life on life's terms, unable to quiet my soul without digging my fists into bags and boxes. And it was a slow death, you know, suicide on the layaway plan, uh, was the truth for me. And, um, you know, compulsive overeating, this whole addiction held out this illusion for me of a shortcut of an easier, softer way of dealing with life. And, you know, I continued to embrace that illusion through every drive through and, and every parking lot. And, you know, in that mist, I mean, I was breaking my relationship with others, breaking my relationship with any community, and certainly separating myself from any sense of a higher power because I was retreating behind closed doors. Sure, I would show up for work, and sure, there were things I showed up for, but as previously stated, I was unavailable. (laughs) And, you know, the thing about... You know, I had to kind of sadly and tragically laugh, you know, when when I read uh, some of us sought out sordid places hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. I mean, I was going to OA for five years trying to find that understanding, companionship, and approval and killing myself during that time. Uh, You know, thank God. We have a message to carry today. We don't live in this pain today because when I had enough, when I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, uh, and I crawled my way into a place that could offer me help, someone said the most important words to me that I had ever heard. They just sat to me across from me and said, I just want to make sure you know you don't have to live that way anymore, Leah if you do not want to. And I left that conversation with something I came in without. And that was hope. And that was hope. And so if anybody is still existing in this kind of pain, let me say, you don't have to live that way anymore if you do not want to. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And Bella. Oh, I'm sorry. Kathy Kay, you're up. Thank you, Sally. Uh, this is Kathy Kay, Recovered Overeater in Boston, and I've really appreciated everybody's shares today. Um, it brings back such memories of how I live my life since very, very early in my life. I woke up with terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair on a daily basis, um, In fact, uh, it's hard for me to remember a time uh, when I didn't wake up that way, and it led me to pursue all kinds of solutions like um, therapy, uh, doing better and better at work, working harder and harder to maintain relationships, doing whatever I could to feel better, Uh, from morning to night, and usually uh, the days one after another were very difficult. Um, And I remember the first time I read this paragraph, um, just absolutely amazed at those four horsemen, because those had been my way of being most of my life. And um, what I what I know today is um, those did not disappear right away. Um, but once I started working the steps, they lessened and lessened, 
and without much uh, notice, um, I became someone who awoke each morning um, with hope and with a desire to uh, do service and with a sense of faith that all would be well. And it was a complete shift of mindset and heart. Um, And that's what my spiritual uh, awakening was. It happened gradually over time and just noticing that those four horsemen just didn't appear anymore in my life. And I'm so grateful that the steps gave me uh, a process and a way of life so that I don't have to go back to those. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay and Bella. Linda R. Bella. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Sally, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a paragraph. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Yes, I was unhappy. Thank you, God, not anymore. Before program, my life wasn't a life. I, 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 I wasn't living, not physically, not emotionally, and not spiritually. Yes, physically, I hate my body. I hate my, the way I look. I, I hate my present. Yes, I was embarrassed and ashamed. Emotionally, I was unhappy. I was angry. I was disappointed. I was jealous. I was angry at all those sales ladies that always I had to say, do you have a big size for me? And when they looked at me and they said, oh, no, you you need a bigger size. We don't have. And, yes, spiritually, I I, I, I wasn't living. Yes, I was angry. I was angry at, at God. How come he is punishing me again and again and again? Yes, I do understand this paragraph. Thank you, God, I am not there anymore. Yes, today I know that the only place that I felt comfortable and power was the food. Yes, the food was everything for me. The food was my comfort zone. Thank you, God, that I am not there anymore. Thank you, God, that today I got my life back. Today I am connected to a loving power. Yes, today I don't need approval anymore. Today I am connected to an acceptance power. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much, Bella, and thank you, Bella, for your patience. Um, Linda R., we have room for one more if you'd like to go ahead. I think we have room for one more share. Possibly we can tweak another one in. Do L. Rachel W. Linda R. And then Drew W. And I don't think we'll have time for a third. Linda, are you there? Okay, do go ahead. Do L. 
Good morning. This is Du, um, Al, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much for your service, uh, Sally. Um, I've uh, never shared on this paragraph in over five years, so it's going to be my first time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what I got from this is, is that, that thing where it says here, as, as we became subjects of king alcohol, shivering denizens, which is inhabitants of his mad realm, the shilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. And I, I went yesterday to a meeting, and um, I haven't been to this meeting in five years. And I didn't realize that I had been gone for so long, for five years from this meeting. And, and uh, when I went there, people were welcoming, and they were just like I never left. And, but they noticed a big change in me, and they said, oh, my God, you look so different. Your persona, everything about you has changed. They said, what happened? And I had to think for a minute, what really happened? Where was I for these five years? And I realized I went into OA. And I started to study the big book. And I started to look at these pages. And that's the change. I went through the steps. <laughs> I got recovered. That's the change. But I couldn't do that when I was there. I was going to meetings. I was doing everything that I thought I was supposed to do. But I was not working the steps. And I was lonely. I was thinking every single day that I went to that meeting, I wanted to kill myself. I came out of that meeting thinking, I want to die. And it's because I was not in the food. I was not in, 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 in alcohol, but I was still having the symptoms of the immanageability in my life. And that terror, you know, the bewilderment, the frustration, the despair continue to reign over me. You know, and it wasn't until I found the solution. What's the solution? The solution is working these steps, practicing these principles in all my affairs. Because even if I go through the book and I don't practice this, it is of no avail. I have to do it fully. And I have to be a demonstration of these principles in all my affairs, in my family life, in my friend's life, in, in my community life. You know, everywhere I go. And if I don't do this, I'll, I'll go back to that thinking, you know, because I'm not cured from this. I, I am subject to this. If I do not keep up with my spiritual program, I cannot rest on my laurels, not even for a moment. Um, and so I'm glad that, you know, that people that are trudging alongside us can look at us and can look at our examples and say, hey, this can be for me too. And with that, I pass. Thank you too, and and I think Linda R. Linda R. Linda and Rachel, both of you. I hope that you'll stick around for the second meeting. I apologize, but the it is now 7:55, and we're going to go ahead and close this meeting. And um, I do invite you to stick around and please share in, in the beginning of the next meeting for all of us. Um, and so at this time, I would like to ask. I would like to thank everyone who has shared, and I will now close. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Santa H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Santa H., a graceful, recovered, compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. 
we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, we cannot transmit something we haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you shall surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.